If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to be looking at most of Revelation 4 and 5 this morning. And let me just say that uh, what we're going to be reading today is a vision of heaven. And so there may be things here that startle you, that strike you as odd, that might seem a little bit scary even to some degree. Um, If that's your reaction, that's okay. This author in Scripture is trying to describe what he saw in heaven. And so if it makes you, if it seems strange, there are things about heaven that are different. So I just wanted to preface that. Um, But yeah, so here's Revelation 4, starting in verse 2. Folks, friends, listen, this is God's word. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And when when he who sat there, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take this scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Oh, man. Is this microphone on? It is? All right. Boy, that is, that's a vision. It is a vision of heaven. You know, there have been times in history, just to, uh, there's been times in history when, that when someone has had to buck the trend of thinking in their day. Okay? Um, there are times when everybody agrees on something, but, but everybody needs to see things differently, right? There was a time where people thought the world was flat, right? You sail out far enough and oops, things like that. Well, in the 15 and 1600s, Galileo, the astronomer, he challenged the prevailing idea that the earth was at the center of the universe, okay? Galileo had experienced sort of the Copernican revolution, right? Copernicus was the one who posited that the earth revolves around the sun, the earth wasn't the center of the universe. Now, for this, for, for, for promoting these ideas, Galileo was ridiculed, right? And then worse, he was persecuted, he was threatened, and then even spent the last years of his life under house arrest. I think this passage in the Bible has the ability to have the same effect in our lives as the Copernican Revolution did in the world of science. This is a vision of heaven that was given to one of the apostles, the Apostle John. And this vision has the power to revolutionize your life. And it will remind you of why Sunday worship is so important. Okay, we're going to see really three points here. So if you want to take notes, just really simply this morning, we're going to see three points. We're going to see the vision, the activity, and the result. So if you want to write that down, the vision, the activity, and the result. So first, the vision. Let's talk about exactly what it is that John sees. He is caught up into heaven. He sees heaven. What does he see? Well, the first thing he sees, verse 2, there's a throne. There's a throne. Hey, there's a throne. There's a throne in heaven. There's a chair in the center. That's the first thing that he sees. You look at verse 3. Around the throne, there was... Uh, there were these jewels, the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Those were jewels, red and white. And then there was this rainbow around the throne, right? So if you're going to try to take in the picture, you've got to keep moving away from this, right? There was this rainbow around the throne that was green, had the appearance of an emerald. And so what we see here is sort of the splendor and the majesty of a royal throne room. Okay, that's what we see. Verse 4, it says then there were 24 thrones, right, circling the throne. There were 24 more thrones. And there were people sitting on them. Elders were sitting on them. They were dressed in white. They had gold crowns on their heads. You know, what this is, this is a picture of the, of the church. It's the people of God from the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? 24 is 2 times 12. So you have 12, 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament plus 12 apostles in the New Testament equal all of God's people around the throne dressed in white robes, 
wearing gold crowns. These are folks who have been clean. They are clean and they have authority. Uh, this image, it's kind of like Petco Park, right? Getting ready for a concert, okay? And if you come in, the concert's going to be in the evening, and all of a sudden the lights begin to go on, okay? And this image, it's sort of like this progression where, you know, if the image is Petco, first the, the spotlight comes on, you see the stage, right? And then more lights come on, you see that there's people gathered around the stage, right? There's people on the field, and then more lights come on, you see, oh, there's, there's these field boxes, right? And then even more lights come on. You see, oh, there's the center deck where the suites are, and then the upper deck, right? And it's like these lights are, are coming on. You just keep seeing more and more. And in our vision, in this vision that, that God's giving us, it's like, it's this vision of the universe. You see more and more things, and, and they're circling this throne. I mean, that's kind of the image here. In verses 5 and 6, you see that there was the, the seven torches of fire, and then in verse 5 and verse 6, there was the sea of glass. These are images from the temple in the Old Testament, right? There was the sevenfold candlestick in the temple, signifying the presence of God. The sea of glass in the Old Testament was actually made of bronze. Sometimes it's called the bronze laver. It was this big basin of water. Symbolically, it was sort of water that came from heaven, and it was designed to cleanse people. They would dip into that, that sea and then pour out cleansing water from God. And so we see that this is where God dwells. God dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament here in heaven. This is like the reality to which that temple pointed. In verse 6, we see that there's these four living creatures around on each side of the throne. And then if you look in chapter 5, verse 11, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, there was the, the, these, these many angels, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands right? You multiply a thousand by a thousand, what do you get? You get a million, right? Nice. Good job on the math. You get a million. So there are millions of angels gathered in this scene. And then it all culminates in chapter 5, verse 13, because you see that now every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them is gathered into this picture. And so you see, what you see is that everything that has been created Everything that we see here on earth, everything that we can't see that's up in heaven, everything is seen and pictured in these concentric circles, okay? These ever-widening circles that incorporates the entire universe, all of creation is in these center circles, and they're all facing in. What's the point? What's the point of this? I think that the point that God was trying to give to John by giving him this vision is he was telling John that there is a center of the universe and we are not it. At the center of the universe, there is a throne and we don't sit on it. In some ways, I feel like this is why church exists. We gather every week on Sundays. We gather in the midst of our city in, in small groups. We gather together in big groups and small groups to remind ourselves that the universe has a center and it's not us. 
like we are gathered in a stadium, <laughs> stadium seating, right? To be reminded that there is a throne and we're not on it. I mean, this reminds me of Galileo and the Copernican revolution, right? What Copernicus did for the earth, this vision of John does for our souls. Okay, when we experience this Copernican revolution, when we come into line with the fact that life doesn't revolve around us, that the world doesn't revolve around us, the universe doesn't revolve around us, but we were made to revolve around the sun, S-O-N. When that happens for us, things deep within our soul begin to click. More of life makes sense. This is a big deal. This is a big, big deal. Because you want to ask yourself, what does your life revolve around? Like, what is it that's at the center of your life? For some of us, it's just, it's us. Right? That, frankly, we are sitting on the throne at the center of our universe and asking everybody else to revolve around us. Sometimes it's not so much us as it may be money. Right? We put money on the throne and we will revolve our lives around the acquisition of money. Um, could be career, uh, could be relationships. For some of us, it's pleasure. These are the things that we place on the throne. There are times when we try to sit on that throne and get everything to revolve around us. My experience has been, and the experience of so many people that I've interacted with, is that if life is about you, then it's a bottomless pit that constantly needs to be refilled. It's just never, ever enough, right? When things actually do work out and you get promoted by the people around you, you get the respect, you get the control, you get the money, it doesn't take very long before you still, you need something else. Right? There's a bottomless pit that cannot ever be lastingly filled if we are sitting on the throne. The things that go on that throne that aren't God, right? that aren't God, those things, like self-celebration doesn't make us lastingly happy. But if we can have this Copernican revolution, if we can come to grips with the fact that God is on the throne... And, and if we can revolve around him, it's really interesting. Something happens because when, when our lives revolve around him and, and serving him, caring more about what he thinks and putting what he thinks into practice in our lives, having a real relationship with him, when we do that, somehow there's this peace that fills our lives. There is a peace that is separate from our circumstances. There's a contentment. Suddenly, if we know that things are right with God, it's enough. It's enough. And what's neat is that that bottomless pit that's inside of us, when he's on the throne, he fills us up. Because it's his approval. It's his love. It's his care for us that actually helps, I mean, that fills. It's the only thing that can really fill that void in our hearts.
so you want to remember this. When you're at work, you know, maybe you need to get another chair in your office and, and put it in the center of your office. Just something to remind you, you know what, that here at work, there's a center of my work life, and I'm not it. Think about being at home, right? When I'm at home, I'm with my family, in my relationships, with my friends, in my community, there's a center to life, and it's not me. It's not me. What that does is that changes your perspective, and it gives you a desire as you serve God, it actually makes you desire to serve others and to care about other people in a way that makes it like your life revolves around that throne and you bring in and bless others. So that's the vision. That's the vision that John gets, this amazing vision of all of creation and God is on the throne. Now, secondly, what's the activity? Um, what's going on here? In one sense, you know, we want to ask the question, well, how do we get into this? How can we join up with this? Right? What can we do so that we can be part of this vision? I mean, the answer is to do what they're doing. And what are they doing? They're worshiping. They are engaged in worship. All of creation is built around one thing, Ultimately, all of creation is built to do one thing. And that one thing is to worship the one who is on the throne. And what is it that motivates their worship? What moves them to worship? Well, chapter 4, verse 11 tells us. This is one of the four songs. They say, Worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Well, because for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. And so we see that they worshiped God because he was the creator. He was the creator. He has made this amazing place that we call earth. God has filled this world with beauty, right? He's filled it with wonder. He's filled it with places that like, literally take our breath away. There are things about this world that are so unbelievably beautiful, He built the world with harmony, with unity. He built this world to be filled with goodness and joy, peace, relation. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's wrong with the world, but it's a pretty amazing place, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. I mean, I think about the Louis Armstrong song, right? What a wonderful world. I mean, that song just moves me because it helps me remember, gosh, this is amazing. This is an amazing world that God has built. And he built the world with himself at the center because he's the source of all that is good. Now, what's unfortunate about human history is that we have sort of come along, entered into the picture, and we've contributed to the destruction of the goodness of this world. Okay? Um, I mean, this is everybody. Folks who are religious, I think, could get front and center in terms of doing things in the name of God that have actually destroyed the goodness of the world God made. Okay, so when we talk about the brokenness of the world, there are religious people who are, who are to blame. Irreligious people also, we've all done things that have sort of marred and destroyed the beauty and the love of the world that God made. When we ignore God, right? When we take him off the throne and we sit ourselves down on that throne, 
when we put other things, when we ignore who God is, when we ignore what God wants, that's when selfishness begins to reign. Selfishness reigns. Greed, manipulation, oppression, pride, bitterness, all these things enter into our lives. You know, it feels like you know, we're born into this world with our default setting on selfishness. Right? You install a program, all these default settings, well, it seems like the box that says selfishness got checked for me. It's just kind of the reality, you know, and we see this, right? Because marriages and families fail because spouses, parents, kids, they just want what they want, right? Companies, work environments fail because people are more consumed with what they want and not, they're, they're, they're consumed with selfishness. And we know that there's something wrong. We long for things to be made right, right? We, we desire earnestly that somehow, some way, there could be a solution to all of the mess, all the problems in our lives. And the good news is that God has promised to fix it. Right? He has. He's promised to fix it, to restore and renew the creation. He actually wrote out his plan of restoration, how he was going to do it. He wrote it on a scroll and sealed it with seven seals. Chapter 5, verse 1, that's the scroll. This is God's plan to fix, restore, redeem, and renew the world. The problem is, Chapter 5, verse 3, there's no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so John weeps loudly because there was no one found. John longs for this. He knows that this is the answer. This is going to bring back restoration and renewal. This is going to heal relationships. It's going to heal people. It's going to heal the world. And so he weeps loudly, and then one of the elders comes and says, wait. You can stop weeping because you know what? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so John picks up, he picks up his head and he looks and he looks and he can see standing in between the throne and the four creatures, he sees a lamb. You know, and you wonder if John was puzzled because the elder said there's a lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David who's conquered. And he looks and there's a lamb and maybe he thinks, you know what, these tears, and he's wiping the tears from his eyes trying to see clearly and he looks closer and it's a lamb. It's a lamb as though it had been slain. This is a picture of Jesus. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. He was a descendant of the tribe of Judah. And yet when he came to reign, when he came to be king, he said he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. He was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so because he came, he was worthy to take the scroll. God's promise comes true in Jesus. And so not only does God, does God get worship because, of he, because he's the creator, but he gets worship also because he is the redeemer. Verse 7, when he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and by your blood you redeemed people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and people and nation. 
You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. God's plan from the beginning was that human beings would be the people who would bring restoration and healing to the world. And it's like he looked, and there was nobody. There was no human being who could actually do what he could execute his plan. And so God came and became human in order to fix it. In Jesus, God came in the flesh. And when Jesus came to live, in his life, he brought this healing and restoration. And on his death, he showed that Jesus is willing to step off of the throne and give his life so that you could be brought nearer to God. The punishment that is due to us for our sins, the justice of God that would be rightly meted out against us for the ways that we have contributed to the selfishness and the brokenness of the world, Jesus took that on himself. And then in the resurrection, Jesus has raised up and returns to the throne where he belongs. And then he turns around and he makes the people who follow him kings and priests to God. And so this is now, this shows us now why these 24 elders are wearing white and have gold crowns on their heads. They're wearing white, they have gold crowns because of the blood of Jesus that's cleansed them. It's not that they are perfect and holy, it's that Jesus was perfect and holy for them. It's that Jesus offered himself as a substitute for them so that they could be forgiven and returned to God. That's how the gospel works. It opens up a way back for us. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is an invitation. The idea of putting Jesus back on the throne, you're putting someone in control of your life who cares so much about you that he gave his life for you. Jesus belongs at the center. He belongs on the throne. And so God, creator, and then God, redeemer, these are the reasons why we worship. And so just real quick, how do we worship? What does it mean to worship? The result is our third point. The result, we do this really in two ways. The first way that we worship is by thinking and speaking and singing about who God is and what he's done. Thinking, speaking, and singing about who God is and what he's done. Right, that's every, there's four songs in this passage. We don't have time to look at all of them, but basically that's what goes on. Um, To him who, look at chapter 13, or chapter 5, verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and of the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. When you think and speak and sing about these aspects of who God is, who God, of who God is, that is worship. That is worship. And it's what we do every Sunday. It's why we sing, right? And then the second thing, the, the second way that we worship is that it's interesting. If you look at this list in verse 13, blessing, honor, glory, might, forever and ever, there's a sense to where we have blessings. There's a sense to where we have honor, among some people in our lives or people who honor us. There's a sense where we have glory. We, there, there's some renown. We have a reputation that's, that, that in some ways for some of the people around us, there's people who think that we have a good reputation, right? We have might, right? We have, there, there is ability, capability. There is power that each one of us has. God has given us these things because he has 
made us in his image. And so as people made in God's image, we have a measure of glory, might, you know, uh, blessing and honor. And so the second way that we worship God, you know, one is by singing. One is by thinking and speaking about who God is. But the second way is by taking the things that God has given us and using them to promote him. Okay? It's using what we have. When we use our power and our wealth and our wisdom and our might and our honor and our glory and our blessing, we use those things in ways and then we give God the credit. We give God the credit. When we use these things in ways that imitate the way God uses these things. You know, God used his might and power and his glory and his wisdom, and he came and offered himself in service to us. When we use our wealth and might and power and glory to serve others, that is an act of worship. And that's what makes all of life an act of worship. I mean, we sang this this morning. All I am is for you. All I have is for you. All my life is for you. Everything is for you. And so we worship here on Sundays, but we also worship with all of our lives. It's an invitation for us to worship God with everything that we have. When we do that, we then um, more conscientiously revolve our lives around the throne. And when we do that, we are the kings and the priests of God. We use the authority that God has given us. I mean, this is what the picture is of them taking off their crowns and putting them at God's feet. They're saying, God, you've given us a measure of authority. You've given us gifts and blessings. We want to use these things to promote you because you deserve the credit, not us. And that's the invitation. And so um, what I'd like to do, actually, what I want to do is... um, I want all of us to to put this into practice. Um, I would like to ask all of you to join me um, to just declare that God is worthy. Okay, so just repeat after me. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. God, you are in the center God, you are on the throne. May you receive blessing and glory and honor and power and wisdom and thanks and praise. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Amen. We're going to have a time where we're actually going to enter into this vision by singing. Gerard and the band are going to come back up and they're going to lead us. I felt as I was studying this that I would rather spend less time talking about worship and spend more time doing it. So we're going to do that now. Let me lead us in prayer as we transition to a time of singing before we have communion. Let's pray. Oh Lord, worthy are you Jesus, you are worthy of all that we have. 
everything that we have comes from you. And you have bought us. You've redeemed us by your blood and made us kings and priests. Lord, we want to lift up our hearts. Enable us now to enter into this heavenly vision, to gather around your throne so that you, Lord, would be high and lifted up, so that you would be honored, so that you would be worshiped. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.